This is Farms Food Future, a podcast that's good for you, good for the planet and good for farmers. Brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. I'm Brian Thompson. In this month's programme, we look at one of the most pressing issues facing farming, that of youth and what's being done to offer interesting and viable options for life on the farm for young people. It's also one of the big issues coming up at IFAD's Governing Council in February. We'll be talking to Tom Anayunga, IFAD's Lead Technical Specialist on Youth, Plus, we hear from IFAD's advocate for rural youth, Sherry Silver, and African recording artist, Mr Easy. That's from their recent interview on the BBC. Joining me will be Maras Groy as she reports back on her interview with a dynamic young Indian agro-entrepreneur who's putting the spice into the sweet. And we'll look at how IFAD is standing out from the crowd when it comes to getting the job done working with farmers in developing countries. I'll be talking to IFAD's Head of Global Engagement, Partnership and Resource Mobilisation, Ron Hartman. And we have news of the latest IFAD report on Latin America and the Caribbean. There are 1.2 billion young people, that's people aged 15 to 24, in the world today. Many of these young people live in developing countries and their numbers are fast growing in low-income African countries. Tom Anayonga is IFAD's lead on youth and agriculture. He talked about IFAD's new strategy for working on youth issues and how important working on this is for IFAD's members at the Governing Council, where young people are playing a bigger role than ever. He told me why young people are so important for agriculture. We see young people as a dividend uh, rather than a challenge. So we want to look at opportunities to provide jobs for them. Agriculture provides this opportunity. And since IFAD works in rural areas with smallholders in small agriculture, that is why we see this opportunity to work with young people to create jobs for them. Traditionally, what sort of youth engagement has IFAD been involved in? IFAD has been engaged in capacity building of young people with a focus on technical skills on crop and livestock production. IFAD has also engaged in providing services to young people, particularly in areas related to access to productive assets. And, And what sort of results have we seen already? We have seen a few good examples coming out, and I think... We've seen projects like the Young Youth Project in Cameroon and the Value Chain Development Project in Nigeria. Already between the two, they have created over 50,000 jobs for young people across value chains. These are good examples that now we look at how do we in the future, scale them up. So last year's IFAD Governing Council saw a call from members to do more regarding youth. What exactly were we asked to do? The Governing Council asked IFAD to create jobs for young people. The bottom line is jobs. And the entry point is through agribusiness, through our country programming. So we embarked on preparation of a youth action plan, which was endorsed by the board. And the whole idea is of how do you mainstreaming the creation of young people into country programs. This is coupled with the developing of the capacity, not only within IFAD, but also with our partners in the countries to work together 
to engage with young people in a productive way to create employment, but also to do policy advocacy so that we have good policy environment that enables young people to get not only uh, self-employment, but also uh, wage employment. And the other area is to mobilize resources to scale up so we can reach large numbers of young men and women. So what will be the, the main differences at this year's IFAD Governing Council in terms of youth participation and other things? The difference is that uh, we'll have a heterogeneity of young people participating. And I think what is also different is that partnering with the communications division, we are having an innovative way of engaging with young people. We will see um, youth with disabilities coming to participate in articulating what the issues are. We'll see uh, young women. We will also see indigenous youth, young people coming to articulate their issues. And this will provide uh, the members... Uh, of the governing council to see the diversity among the young people and the opportunities that they do create and that they themselves have solutions to their own challenges. And if I will uh, take pride in partnering with these young people, listening to them to ensure that uh, we facilitate them to innovate and look for solutions for their own cause. Tom, you were very much involved in, in um, setting up the regional youth forums that took place in 2019. For you, what was the, the, the main thing you, you took away from that? The main thing I took away from this, uh, the regional consultations is that young people said they want to be practically engaged. They said they want to be involved where the action is in the rural areas and they want solutions, innovative solutions to, uh, to, their, to, to their challenges. Um, what was also quite interesting is that uh, the young people demonstrated that IFAD is a, an honest partner and they want to engage with them because IFAD listens to them. And we want to take advantage of the, 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 the innovativeness that young people bring to actually help them or facilitate them to solve their own problems. I understand that we've set up a grant which is aimed at agro-business hubs. Can you, you tell me a little bit more about what that is, what it does? Yes, thank you very much, uh, Brian. You see, we've looked in the past of what IFAD has done, but also talked to young people. And uh, what is emerging is that um, uh, the focus in the past has been about self-employment, that is helping young people in agribusiness to do startups. But we've realized that uh, the lessons learned uh, show that uh, self-starters really don't create the massive jobs given the multitude of young people that actually need employment in developing countries. The opportunity to create massive jobs is in wage, wage labor in agribusiness. And uh, we have together put uh, a grant which is leveraging uh, the partnership with BMZ to create agribusiness hubs. And these integrated agribusiness hubs is an opportunity to create holistic skills for young people, which provides them the opportunity to not only get into self-employment, but also makes them attractive to private sector, but also the semi-private sector and the public sector for them to get into wage employment within the various segments of value chains. That was Tom Anayonga talking to us at Farms Food Future. 
You can find out more about what the International Fund for Agricultural Development is all about by going to our website www.ifad.org and more on IFAD's work with young people at forward slash youth. And you can also find more podcasts at the same address forward slash podcasts. Coming up, we have MTV award-winning choreographer Sherry Silver and African pop star Mr. Easy with highlights on what they think of IFAD's work with young people. Last year, IFAD launched an innovative global dance challenge asking young people to make their moves matter and record a 15-second dance video in support of creating opportunities for youth in some of the world's poorest countries. The virtual dance competition, launched on TikTok, asked world leaders to invest more in sustainable agriculture and young people as a means to end global poverty and hunger. Hashtag Dance for Change features MTV award-winning choreographer Sherry Silver, who is also IFAD's advocate for rural youth, and African recording artist Mr. Easy. They were recently interviewed by Tim Wilcox on BBC World. Sherry was keen to tell Tim about the huge response the dance campaign has received. Yes, yeah, we've had about 100 million people getting involved via TikTok and online social media. Okay, uh, and, uh, and Mr. Easy, uh, yeah. shall I call you Mr. Easy or shall I call you Easy? Easy, easy. easy. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> and what are you asking people to do and for how long? Okay, first off is to, you know, involve, to get the younger people, especially the rural youth, involved in agriculture and also to raise the awareness. And, you know, somebody once said the, the easiest way to stop poverty is by preventing it. And the prevention is in the huge amount of youth in the rural areas in Africa and get them farming and also call out, you know, world leaders to invest in agriculture. Okay, uh, and uh, just looking at some of these uh, pictures here now, I mean, you, I think, Sherry, you went to Cameroon to film this, uh, but you're, you're asking people all around the country to do it. What got you so involved in this issue uh, of agriculture in Africa? Um, so I grew up around farming. My grandfather was a farmer. He had cows. and uh, Which my, country? In Rwanda. Okay. And then my grandmother, of course, you know, she, I grew up with her planting bananas and yams, but I never saw it as a career. It was just something that happened around me. But with EFAD, I came to realize that, you know, farming is actually a sustainable way of not only making money, but feeding the local community and also preventing world or tackling world hunger. And it all starts where the crops are grown. So really, we need to focus so much attention in these rural areas where a large portion of the world lives. I know, and actually, I, I know Rwanda quite well from the 90s, unfortunately, from exactly, the, the, the yeah. genocide and things there, but yeah, banana plantations are very green, verdant, fantastic yeah. country. But from what I could see at the time, I don't know if it's the same for Nigeria as yeah. well, you know, there's a lot of um, subsistence farmers there, perhaps feeding themselves and their families, yeah. yes. but not on a broader scale. Yeah. And is that what you are, you're trying to encourage, that people should be doing this commercially? It's not just for... A, a very small number of people. You know, with the uh, International Fund for Agricultural Development, and when I got involved and, you know, going deeper, is that you see that there's a lot of young people, able people, in these rural communities, and they're just farming for themselves. And a lot of them do not even have access to education or investment and seeding. And right now, with you know, with climate change, there's not enough education on who, how can I have 
you know, climate um, seeds that are resilient? How can I even storage as simple as storage for for the for the crop for their produce? And about moving this beyond just hunger. So hunger is number one, but two, even economic development is tied to these women in these women and children, um, women and younger people in these rural but is communities. It, it's also an issue of looking at a wider aspect of this, that actually is farming viable for, for young people? And are you trying to get them to sort of form cooperatives and things as well so they don't have to leave for the cities? Yeah. You know, uh, they can do it together. I mean, is that another part of exactly. this Exactly. Um, through the International Fund for Agricultural Development, you know, we, we're doing this online campaign to show young people that they can actually make a business out of this and, of course, to feed the community yeah. as well. And, I mean, we saw it. We Remember, we went to Ghana. So we went to Ghana. We went to this... It was far. We had to go through two boats to get to the community. And we yeah. met this amazing woman, Juliana, who, via uh, the funding and support from the IFAD, has gone on to not only... She, she produces coconuts, you know... Uh, she processes coconut. She's, okay. she's gone on to... And she's she, got the funding, yeah, has she, so, so, to, so, to actually exactly. to, so we, to set we, up the, we, the, we, the resources. And we saw this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the education, the accessibility to loans to actually set up her own mini coconut processing plant from which she feeds her family. And she has, she has staff. She has people who are doing this with her. Funny enough, she motivated me. And this is, this is the important part. I, I go around the world just singing and singing to my fans that are not only in rural communities, but in urban cities worldwide. And when I saw that myself, I went ahead to say, you know what, I, w- I want to start a farm. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you do. Yeah. And, 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 also, and are you going to as well or not? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Whoa. But it's also seeing the difference that the IFAD-funded projects make. So, for example, Juliana, before she, she had the access to certain resources provided by IFAD, she was doing everything manually by hand. And then we saw the difference of how much more she was able p- to produce in a day yeah. after receiving the, the necessary okay. machines. We're, we're out of time, but yeah, best of luck with this. That was BBC's Tim Wilcox talking to Sherry Silver and Mr Easy about IFAD's hashtag Dance for Change campaign. Coming up, Mara Zgroy talks to a remarkable young woman who is spicing up the chocolate market in India. You're listening to Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. As we know, most of the world's young people live in developing countries, and mostly in rural areas, where they face many challenges to make a living. Unemployment and lack of opportunities lead to mass migration towards cities and richer countries, removing a valuable workforce from local communities. But some young people have taken this problem to heart and are determined to stay in their hometowns to create new environments that foster innovation and local entrepreneurship. Ifad Zmaras Groy has been investigating and she's here now with me in the studio to tell us more. Thanks, Brian. I spoke to one of these young pioneers, Dinarin Stephen, from Manipur, India. Dinarin completed their master's degree in fashion management and worked in the fashion industry for a while, but constantly felt the need to go back to her roots. In 2017, she returned to her hometown, Ukrul, to found her own startup, Hill Wild, which gives chocolate an exotic twist by infusing it with local traditional spices. Coming from an indigenous minority, being young and a woman, Dinarin tells us about the initial challenges she faced and how she's using her success story to inspire other young people. 
According to her, the key to youth empowerment is financial literacy and access to microfunding. But first, I asked her how she uses her experience to help other young people establish their own business ventures. Your efforts in the local community go beyond your business. What do you do to inspire young entrepreneurs to follow your path? So when we first started this business, the ecosystem was uh, very difficult, as in there were very less entrepreneurs who were doing similar work. That's when we realized we should have a platform for all the entrepreneurs who are based in this uh, place where we can share networking, where we can share uh, better logistics and even contacts. So the work that we are trying to do is uh, empowering people to take up entrepreneurship so that they can employ themselves as well as other people also. I have another question on the community impact of your activities. How are your activities helping local women commercialize what they produce? So uh, our help goes in two different ways. There are certain women who are very skilled, so they come to us and work uh, seasonally during the seasonal fruit time. So basically when we have demands of candies and everything and fruits are seasonal, they come and make these uh, candies and they are paid monthly, even uh, as per their work. And another demand is that, uh, another work that we do is that, uh, once these women decide to venture on their own, apart from working as a skilled artisan, they start their own business. That's where we help starting from scratch, like from registration, even from getting a food safety license, we help them. And we, we eventually introduce them to the network that we have where they can start uh, keeping their products in the stores of networks that we have. We know you participated in regional consultations with IFAD. Could you tell us more about this experience? One thing that struck me about the uh, IFAD regional consultation was that everyone came from Asia-Pacific different region, and everyone was sharing the same problem that we face. You know, being in a tribal uh, setup, and again, with lack of uh, access to financial uh, sources, and also uh, skills, you know, there are a lot of uh, problems that we face. But uh, that regional consultation also gave me a new perspective of finding the solution together. What solution can we draw out of this and, you know, actually apply to this uh, problem that we all face? So that was a new learning for me and also an understanding that the certain solutions can be applied and can be successful to solve this problem. For example, uh, a lot of people have very less uh, in fact, uh, financial literacy also is very low. And in fact, the access to microfunding is also very low. So these are the kind of problems uh, that can be solved, you know. If uh, if micro-entrepreneurs can be given access to even seed funding, this is where they'll actually grow. Like, they don't need a huge amount of funding. They just need, like, seed funding. So this kind of problems can be tackled for a very specific uh, niche group. This is where the you know the consultation with the youth also came into being. Like how youth can also uh, take this lead forward. That was Dina Reen, a young indigenous entrepreneur with shaping her village's future through her cooperative, local initiatives, and advocacy. Dina Reen is one of IFAD's youth champions 
and will be visiting IFAD's headquarters in February for the Governing Council to propose their solutions to regional youth challenges. Thanks, Mara, for that really interesting report. Coming up, we've news on what makes IFAD a unique player in the development finance market and stand out from the rest. Getting the money to pay for development in a changing world can be challenging, and to do it, development organisations such as the International Fund for Agricultural Development need to show what they bring to the table in terms of affecting real and lasting change. Ron Hartman is director of IFAD's Global Engagement Partnership and Resource Mobilisation Division. He explains that IFAD's focus on investing in rural people in developing countries is critical to deal with the challenges the world faces today. But this is a fast-changing landscape. I asked him how he thinks things are changing. One interesting thing for me um, over the course of the last sort of 18 months is the, is the recognition of the importance that food and food systems play in trying to deal with some of the global challenges that are, that are emerging at the moment with respect to climate or fragility. Um, so IFAD focusing on investing in rural people, helping them to adapt and build their resilience to these challenges is, is becoming, I think, more critical. How, how would you characterise the change that's taken place in the last 40 years since IFAD was originally conceived? There's been a lot of changes. I think, obviously, there's been unprecedented economic growth um, globally um, and the reduction of, of poverty. Um, there's been a, a significant change in the way um, that development is, is undertaken. Um, Forty years ago, the relationships between EFAD and its member countries was really donor and recipient type relationships. EFAD as a financing institution would give countries who were under financial stress funding. Um, that, I think, is, has really evolved to more towards development partnerships. And what I mean by this is IFAD has a dialogue with its member country about what kind of value that IFAD can bring, whether it's through financing, whether it's through technical support, whether it's through facilitating cooperation with other countries to help these countries to develop and overcome the challenges that they face. So that the context, I think, has, has evolved incredibly. And as an institution, that's one of the challenges that we have, is how can we innovate, modernise and be very relevant um, to help our members deal with the challenges they face today. How would you say IFAD is, is, is rising to that challenge, to that changing landscape? One of, one of the things that I, I really like about the fund is that we're, we're member-driven. Um, and what this means is, is we're responsive to, to our members and therefore the members demand different things of IFAD um, and that forces us every three years, for example, to go back to our membership, ask the membership how we're performing and to have a strategic dialogue with the membership about what the priorities they want to see IFAD focus on. So as a consequence, we're constantly evolving, constantly trying to adapt to, to be able to service our members and deal with some of the emerging problems that are coming forward. And that's really important for us as a, as a multilateral institution, how we can leverage our partnerships, our knowledge to support our members in, in new and different and innovative ways. And so, so what sort of innovations are, are we looking at right now and what sort of innovations have worked in, in the past? I think one of the key challenges, obviously, at the moment is, uh, is around the issue of climate. Um, and that's uh, uh, an issue that globally um, is very new for, for everyone. Um, so IFAD, what it tries to do is to, is to help particularly smallholder farmers try and adapt to these 
these new and emerging opportunities and risks. So key, a key aspect where IFAD is innovating at the moment is, is around that climate space, helping small farmers adapt, helping small farmers try and mitigate the effects of climate. Um, another area where we're innovating, I think, and, and this has been a cornerstone of IFAD over 40 years, is around inclusiveness and equality and equity. So how we ensure that those in societies and communities that are most marginalised are able to integrate with mainstream society, able to benefit from economic growth and, and able to ensure that, that we facilitate better lives and livelihoods for, for rural people. What examples from IFAD's work out there in the world would, would show how IFAD is rising to the challenge? One of the things I think is unique about IFAD is, is its ability to work with those people that are, that are most marginalised and, and most remote. And generally in developing countries you'll find the, the IFAD investments are, are the ones that are sometimes not well seen because of the remoteness. Um, a few examples I can give are from, for example, small island developing states in the Pacific, where IFAD works in, in remote islands, but, but often in the remote places of these remote islands. Um, small islands, uh, I think, are, are quite a, a unique development context in terms of their fragility, uh, in terms of market economic factors, but increasingly their fragility towards climate vari- variability. Um, and what we're finding is in remote islands, communities are being affected by rising seawater, um, by saltwater uh, incursion into, into their, their drinking water, and by uh, changing uh, food crop patterns. Um, small islands also have challenges in terms of both undernutrition and overnutrition, um, which make them quite unique uh, environments. Um, in other areas, um, I've most recently also lived in Indonesia. Um, Indonesia is, of course, a, a lower middle-income country with a, a, an economy that is performing very well. But if you, if you look deeper um, underneath that, and this is, this is often in, in middle-income countries, there is very deep pockets of fragility and poverty. Um, and we work with governments such as Indonesia on trying to help these rural people benefit from the economic growth that's occurring and making sure that the societal change uh, includes them as they go forward. Are, are there any particular instruments that we've put in place that in recently that we would be promoting to, to donors? Well, well, if that is predominantly a, a financing institution, that's our, our real bread and butter. Um, and we've, we've been providing financing to our member countries for, for f- over 40 years, mainly through, through loan financing. Um, and this has been, I think, very successful in terms of um, ensuring benefits for rural people. Over the 40 years, we've been able to adapt um, the, the loan financing instrument to, to respond to, to new and emerging needs of our member countries. But what we also recognise is, is, is loan financing, particularly in, in a time where debt distress is very high, such as at the moment, that there is a need for other more innovative financing instruments. And there's a few things that IFAD has done over the recent years. For instance, um, we've had a, an adaption fund for, for climate, um, which has benefited smallholder farmers. Most recently, what we've been trying to do is to see how we can harness uh, the, the financing, the knowledge, the technical ability of the private sector. Um, and last year, IFAD launched a, an agribusiness fund for, specifically for small, medium enterprises in the rural sector, and it's called the ABC Fund. 
this is a, is a highly innovative approach at, at how we can help the private sector develop um, as an engine of development growth in rural areas. Right now we're, we're in the middle of a new fundraising round. When you look to the, to the future, 10 years from now, how do you think things are going to have developed? What, what are donors going to be looking for? More of the same or something totally different? I think, I think that's, a, that's an interesting question, particularly if you're looking at that 10-year horizon, because what's important about that is, is it aligns with the, the, the achievement or non-achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals. And really the success of the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals is going to be based on decision-making that happens now. Um, and as you're probably aware, at the moment, the world is actually off track in terms of the achievement of many of the SDGs, and particularly SDG 2, which focuses on hunger. Um, the number of hungry people in the world is actually increasing at the moment. And in my personal opinion, that's not acceptable in today's uh, day and age. So really the discussion that we're having with our membership at the moment is, is how EFAD, as, as a unique organization that focuses on the poorest, the most marginal people in rural areas, is able to increase its impact, how we can double um, the amount of people that we move from poverty or reduce hunger by 2030. And the discussion we have with the membership at the moment is, is what kind of financing we need to put in place, what kind of instruments we need to put in place, and what kind of strategic focus that the fund needs to have to be able to deliver on these global goals. So it's a, it's a big challenge, um, but it's certainly one that needs to happen. Thanks to Ron Hartman. I'm Brian Thompson, and this is Farms Food Future. You can hear more podcasts by going to www.ifad.org forward slash podcasts. In episode two, we have news of the Climate Action Report 2019 and Spanish celebrity chef Pepe Munoz talks food and climate change. And in episode one, we have news direct from farmers in Bhutan and Malawi. Up next, Oliver Page gives us an insight into how things are being done in a people-centred way over in Latin America and the Caribbean. Development projects that integrate investments in rural indigenous people, youth and women with measures to adapt to climate change are more likely to be successful in Latin America and the Caribbean, according to IFAD's latest report, The Latin America and Caribbean Advantage. This was based on a review of all IFAD-supported projects in the region and shows that this holistic approach, which also includes investments in better nutrition, has a sustainable impact and minimises trade-offs and risks. In Haiti, IFAD-supported projects break down discrimination against women in agriculture, which previously undermined efforts to train farmers on how to adapt to climate change. Food insecurity for female-headed households is expected to drop from 85 to 50% by 2023 as a result. Throughout the region, investments in the creation of strong youth networks have increased understanding among younger farmers of best practices when adapting to climate change. In Colombia, its network of 2,200 members in 70 local branches has managed to raise more than $2 million from the Ministry of Agriculture in support of smallholder agriculture. Drawing on indigenous knowledge systems is also paying dividends. In the Amazon basin, indigenous communities are reintroducing hardy indigenous crops that are more resilient to unpredictable weather. In 2019, climate-related losses of crops dropped by 20%.
Oliver Page is IFAD's regional climate and environment specialist for the region, and he told me that one without the other is a recipe for short-term benefits only. And by investing across all areas, we are truly laying the ground for long-term sustainable returns for the 17 million family farms in the region. Oliver told me more about why IFAD is rolling out this new integrated way of working in Latin America and the Caribbean. Well, IFAD works this way because we're a people-centered institution, I think. And、uh, when we look at all the challenges people face in the field, all of these issues, all of these mainstreaming areas, really come together. The conversion of our division from environment and climate to environment, climate, gender, and social inclusion. I think has、um, allowed us to take a more integrated view of the way we deal with the issues faced by our stakeholders and our clients. When you talk about gender and climate change, for example, an integrated analysis, you'll very quickly realize that gender issues are intrinsically linked to climate change. When you talk about climate change and food, climate change and、um, water supply, climate change and energy. And you look at the gender issues behind them, you realize that many times in rural households, it's the women who are really carrying the the load, carrying the brunt of the work. And that way, there's there's numerous examples of how these issues are really should not be dealt with in silos. They should be dealt with in an integrated way. So, are we getting better at working across these areas? And and more importantly, are our partners in the region? Recognizing the need, I think we're definitely getting better. The creation of the new division has certainly helped and is being recognized by our partners.、Uh, for example, when we look at the climate funds, all of the climate funds require environmental assessment, gender assessment, social inclusion assessments, and the fact that we're doing this in an integrated way helps. Helps the way we present our projects. Helps in the way we communicate about all of these issues with our partners. Likewise, from the countries, we receive demand from the countries to include all these issues in our projects, and to do this—I repeat it—an integrated way to do this in in a way that makes sense for our project designs and it makes sense for the for the stakeholders. Because people we work with are not boxes; they're not a box which is、uh, a young person or a woman or an indigenous person. People are people, and they cut across all of these issues. And if you have a people-centered approach, then it's clear that these issues should be integrated rather than managed separately. For you, what are the main threats to, to smallholder agriculture in the region of Latin America and the Caribbean? Climate change and environmental issues are clearly a main threat. But even beyond that, or underlying all of these issues, is the issue of of inequality and the issue that、uh, rural areas are being neglected. And, and smallholders are being left behind. That's the real issue in Latin America. Even though overall, for the past、uh, decade, with the exception of the last two or three years,、uh, there's been quite impressive economic growth. The inequality gap is rising, and it's the rural poor smallholders who are being left behind. So that's the underlying challenge that we face in Latin America. On top of that, you add climate change. Uh, you add the situation of、uh, degradation of environmental resources. That gets all reinforced because the policies and the measures to ensure that stakeholders are still、um, 
keeping up with economic growth are not there. For you, what are the, the shining examples within the Latin America and Caribbean region where IFAD is getting it right and farmers are coming out of poverty? Well, I'm, I'm very fond of our Bolivia project, Accesos, which uh, has had impact on rural farmers in empowering, empowering them to take their own decisions, to understand what climate change is and define what the, solution, the best solutions are for them. It also has a very powerful indigenous peoples component because of the nature of, of Bolivian stakeholders and also a strong gender component because it really does empower women to take decisions and women to lead businesses. And uh, yeah, in, in the Dominican Republic, um, it's also a good example. We've developed a local resilience scorecard where local people determine what resilience means for them and we track uh, the progress in achieving resilience so that at the end of the day, uh, we can truly measure whether people have really increased resilience according to their own perspective and their own definition rather than any definition um, that we come across uh, from Rome or from IFAD. Uh, overall, I think uh, in Latin America, the, the, um, the shining point of um, IFAS project is inclusion, allowing people to develop their own ideas, develop their own business plans, develop their own ambitions in order to achieve uh, what they feel is a sustainable future for them. That was Oliver Page telling us all about IFAD's Latin America and Caribbean Advantage Report, which you can download at www.ifad.org forward slash knowledge. That brings this edition of Farms Food Future to a close. Thanks to our reporter, Mara Zgroy, our producers, Francesco Manetti and John Duluce, and everyone who's worked on this programme. But most of all, thanks to you for listening to this episode of Farms Food Future, brought to you by the International Fund for Agricultural Development. You can find out more about any of these stories and more at www.ifad.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back at the end of February ahead of International Women's Day with news of how women are ringing in the changes, making the decisions and running the businesses in farming across the developing world. And once again, we'll be trying to be good for you, good for the planet and good for the farmers. Until then, from me, Brian Thompson, and the team here at IFAD, thanks for listening. Music